More faith, please. Which one of us wouldn't want some of that? There are times in all of our lives when we feel like we could do with more faith. So when the disciples ask Jesus if they can have some more, his answer is alarming and not really what we would expect. So why is that? Why is faith the size of a mustard seed enough? Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. My name's Stuart and I get to be the minister here. It's my privilege to welcome you from wherever you find yourself today. Know that you are loved by God and that you are welcome here. We're glad that you could join us. Today in worship, I'm joined by Douglas and Anne. Douglas will read for us now and Anne will lead us in our prayer later in our time together. Reading is taken from Luke 17 verses 5 to 10. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait in me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Increase our faith. I wonder if there are any of us who haven't had that thought at some point. It's the kind of thing we ask when times are tough, when we're faced with a big problem or with a loss. I wonder when we ask. I wonder if we think about what we're actually asking for. Is it to help me get through this? Make it all go away? Make it stop because... I can't do this all by myself. This section of Luke's Gospel that we have been working through over the past few weeks is a really hard section of the Gospel. It's stuff about losing and being lost, about working out what's most important to us and challenging the idea that money is what matters. Jesus is exploding his followers' ideas about how the world works, who's important and how they already have all that they need in the Law and the Prophets to make it all work. Their reaction to all of that challenging stuff is much like ours. Help? That all seems too big. There are so many problems and we're just ordinary people. What can we do about it? Maybe if we had more faith, we could make a bigger difference. It seems pretty logical. Jesus has the most faith in God of anyone that they have ever seen. So... If they could have a bit more of that, then maybe, well, maybe they could have a similar impact on the world. Perhaps we would be able to do some of the things that Jesus does. Perhaps we could heal more people. Maybe we would have the right words to say. Maybe we would have a better idea of what to do when things are really tough. Maybe. Maybe we could have confidence the confidence to actually step outside of the world as we know it and step into the world as Jesus describes it. 
The disciples' request is one we would all make, one we have all made. More faith. Yes, please, I'll have some of that. Jesus' answer to the disciples is crushing. If only you had faith the size of this tiny mustard seed, you could tell that mulberry bush to uproot itself and move. You can imagine the disappointment the disciples must have felt. The despondency. Perhaps the rising resentment. We're trying our best here. This stuff you're talking about, it's hard. Making this kind of change, it's, well, it's impossible. How do you expect a bunch of nobodies like us to change the world? Because that's what you're asking from us. All we're asking from you is to give us a bit more faith. And it's not like the request is without precedent. Remember, when the great prophet Elijah is about to be taken up to heaven, his apprentice, Elisha, asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Elisha knows that he has some big shoes to fill and he knows the toll that Elijah's work had taken on him. There were times when it was just all too much and Elijah wanted just to give up. To lie down, completely exhausted and overwhelmed. That's where these disciples are at. This is too hard for us. We can't be you. We're trying. Really, we are. We're still here. We haven't given up and turned back, but we need help. And it all just seems too much for us. From all we know about Jesus, though, do you think he would leave his followers with that sense of hopelessness? This is Jesus who shows such compassion, who goes out of his way to help, even when the cost to him is so great. So it doesn't seem right that he would be so harsh. Maybe, maybe something else is going on here. Maybe there's more to it. Did you notice where our reading started today? We began at verse 5. And when you do that, the focus of the story completely changes. The disciples are asking for more faith in response to something that Jesus has just said, something he asked them to do and that they don't think they can manage. Jesus says to his disciples, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It'd be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there's repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The word we translate as stumbling is a word that can also mean scandal. It's those moments when someone does something wrong that causes the whole community to be affected, to be tarnished, to be brought into disrepute. These things happen though. They happen because people are fallible and make mistakes. So these first few verses are about what to do when that happens. Firstly, don't be the one who causes a scandal. And that's particularly true for the disciples, for leaders The impact of betraying the trust of the people you lead can be devastating. We've sadly seen it again and again over the years. Part of the issue is a lack of accountability. We set people up and we give them wide-ranging powers with very little accountability. And they think, well, I'm in charge. I can do what I like. It's not up to you to tell me what to do. It's none of your business. Keep your nose out. 
And then it all goes wrong. And when it does, we don't know what to do. Jesus advised his disciples is that they need to be responsible to each other and for each other. They need to get to a place where they can be honest with each other and can point out when someone is going astray. As leaders, they need to be at their best. Jesus is asking his closest followers to be brutally honest with each other, to call each other out, to create an environment where that isn't seen as a destructive thing, but a thing that encourages growth and development. And that's hard. It's really hard. It's hard to say to someone, and it's hard to hear. How often do we respond to criticism with more criticism? Someone says, I don't like it when you do that. And we say, well, I don't like it when you do this. And the cycle of blame and recrimination begins again, and we end up talking about things that happened 20 years ago that still bother us. And I bring it up to make you feel guilty so that you leave me alone. Creating a culture where we can honestly challenge behaviour and opinions in a loving and caring way is hard. Those being criticised don't want to hear it, and those who are concerned are terrified that saying something will ruin the relationship or result in a fight, or the other person will leave, and, and then who will we get to do their job? I'll give you a small example. I've been here at St Marian's for over five years now, and in all that time I've always asked for your honest feedback about worship, because I want to hear what you think. I want to improve. I want what we do here to be helpful and useful and to help us all to grow together. But I could count on one hand the conversations I've actually had with people that have gone beyond a sentence at the church door or a line in an email. Now that's partly to do with creating opportunities for that kind of feedback to, to really happen because at the door or by email isn't really the place. So it's about creating a culture where constructive criticism is expected and valued and given and received in love. We have to learn how to give and receive criticism and to expect it and to know what to do with it. It should never be about belittling someone. Actually, to engage in this kind of relationship is incredibly courageous because to tell someone that their behaviour is having a negative impact on you places you in a very vulnerable position. You're vulnerable because the person could take that information and use it to further hurt you. They could feel attacked and not really know what to do with that, or they could feel shame. Making sure we create communities of loving accountability is rooted in how we view sin and repentance and forgiveness. Sin is just the name of all the stuff that is destructive in our relationships with God and with each other. Repentance means to think differently, to reconsider Jesus is asking us to help each other to think differently, to live differently, to change our patterns of behaviour, to want to be better and to accept each other's help, value each other's help in doing that. So when the disciples ask for more faith, they're actually asking for more strength, more compassion, more wisdom to be able to create that kind of community. The kind of environment where just a little of that helpful attitude goes a long, long way. Far enough to root up a big problem that would normally seem impossible to move, like a bush with deep roots and a garden. A tiny seed of faith is all we need. Why? Because a single seed contains all that's needed to grow a plant that's strong and flourishing. You either have faith or you don't. You can't have more or less. 
Jesus gives an example of what that kind of community might look like. When someone does what they're supposed to do, well, they don't expect to get praise for it. It's just what they're meant to do. So do it without question and without expectation of praise or reward beyond just doing a good job. I think for us, perhaps, Theodore Roosevelt says it in a way that we might relate to. It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. His face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. He strives valiantly. He errs, he comes short again and again because there's no effort without error or shortcoming. And he does actually strive to do the deeds. He knows great enthusiasms, great devotions. He spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be lost with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So perhaps the disciples are asking for the wrong thing. They think they need more faith because what Jesus is asking of them seems too difficult. They've seen what happens to people who step into the arena and challenge the powers. But they and we already have all we need. As the prophet Micah wrote, God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The man in the arena strives in humility and service. That's what Jesus is asking of his followers. Not to stand on the sidelines and throw criticism. Anyone can do that. But when we're in it, really in it together, rooting for each other, hoping for the best, trusting our brothers and sisters want the best for us, and know that we want the best for them, only then, by taking to the field, stepping into the arena, will we strive together to dare greatly in our work to bring the kingdom of God near. Oh
Let us pray. Ever-creating God, let us not forget that your spirit is constantly at work in the world. It never rests, it never stops to take a break. It never needs to be rewarded for work done. Your creative energy is the very fabric of what makes life tick. Today we are mindful of those who are made to feel second-class citizens by a world often fixated on success and accolade and attainment. The horrors of slavery and employment where those in service are taken advantage of must not be tolerated, either as part of history or where it is still common practice today. We pray also for those who cannot escape from that cycle of working too hard, often to the detriment of health, quality of life or family relationships. We pray for those countless people who are never thanked for their work in the church or our society. Though never seeking reward, we are conscious that to never acknowledge the self-sacrificing service of your people is not right. We pray for those whom there is no place at the table of plenty. We think of those who are starving for food, who lack the medicines they need, who do not live in a comfortable, well-provisioned home, who do not enjoy a peaceful sleep because of worries or threats, who are lonely and lack human contact. No person should feel worthless. Lord our God, May we fight for justice for our fellow humanity and to bring care where it is lacking. We pray in your Son's name, who taught us to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go forward in faith. Use it, grow it, develop it. Share it, give it, distribute it. Move mountains, build highways to heaven. And be blessed by God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who enables us all to grow and flourish now and always. Thank mm-hmm. you.